Love a rugby league same-game multi? Then you've got to check out Picklebet same-game multi. Watch your odds and payouts skyrocket when you combine your favorite team's markets like head-to-head, first try scorer, and winning margin. Picklebet, the next-gen betting app and official sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast. What are you really gambling with? For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. You'll never know if you don't go. You'll never shine if you don't glow. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars podcast. Barnsley back, your host for the pre-season NRL Supercoach team previews. Got a Dragons one today for all you Dragons fans, so all the Red and White Army out there, you're in for a treat today. It's going to be an interesting podcast. Last year, I got Marty Jones on, who is a huge Dragons fan, huge Supercoach fanatic as well. And he's joining me today to talk everything Dragons. So, Marty, welcome back on the podcast, mate. Great to have you. Yeah, nice to be back for 2024. Uh, first trial on tonight as well, which is very exciting. I sort of feel like the I feel like the year's on us now. So, summer's great. I love my fishing and my surfing. But I have to say, when you sort of look up and you realise that the footy's about to start again, you, you, it does make your week seem that much more enjoyable. Yeah, it does. And I, I, can't, I always love this time of year. It's like just right before the season's going to start, you get the trials happening. You get the um, charity shield for your boys as well versus Souths, which is always nice. And it's just always such a great time. And we're all, always going to get that, that first TLT feeling and the tingles and everything too. But look, your Dragons, we'll go into them in detail, player by player. But for everyone that's tuning in for maybe the first time, on these podcasts we go through, all the players that are going to be the most biggest talking points, I should say, the most super coach relevant for round one. When we are talking, we are just talking about how to construct your round one teams. Who are the players to look for for round one? Who are the ones to not? And we go through it all. This isn't the type of podcast that says, this is what you do. We're not an instruction manual. I give you all the information. We give you some opinions. We give you some pros and cons, and it's up to everyone out there to decide. But that means that we give you heaps of info. And we talk about a lot of players. So we're going to do that today for sure. We do need to have a quick chat about Picklebet. You can go to picklebet.com.au today. They are a fantastic bookie. They often have best odds in market. And when you do, make sure that you sign up and use the promo or affiliate code ALLSTARS or one word. Really important because that way they know to make sure they take great care of you as an ALLSTARS listener and give you some of the best offers, which they often have plenty of. They've also got great NRL markets up at the moment. So have a look at those because I'm really keen on a few of them. Uh, look, you can go for the best team in New South Wales and the Penrith Panthers are paying $1.99 for that. Now I'll tell you what, 2-1 to one for Penrith to be the best team out of the New South Wales teams that are there. That is exceptional as a market but also the odds for Penny. So I'm all over that one. I'll tell you the other one I'm all over. They've got the top four markets up and some of the big... I think, value ones, the Roosters are the fourth favourite to the $1.83. Now, everyone's going to say, Barnsley are Roosters, man. Yeah, I know, but it's almost two to one odds. Melbourne Storm, $1.97 to make the top four. Those are good odds for two teams that could make the top four, and that's what Picklebet's all about. They've got a heap of markets up there at the moment. You can go on there, have a look, and they've got some great value. So jump on picklebet.com.au today. Make sure you use a referral code or affiliate code, it's often called when you sign up, All Stars. 
They've got great offers there. They'll take great care of you. Of course, always think, is this a bet that you really want to play? It's for free and confidential support. You can call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Now, continuing the Supercoach chat. The first thing that we're going to talk about, though, is the Dragon's Draw. I'll start off with, actually. It's it's quite interesting. And one of the other things that people that are just tuning in should know is that when I'm looking at the draw from a Supercoach perspective, I'm really looking at that first four to eight weeks. Uh, that first month and that second month are, are quite important. The first six weeks, Marty, is interesting because Dragons have four out of their six games to start the season away from home. Traditionally, not great for them. And the first uh, two weeks are actually away in Queensland, back-to-back. Not great. Um, They're also away at Newcastle in round five and then away at the Tigers in round six, which is a little bit easier. So not the best. Uh, Then they do have two tougher games to round out the first couple of months against the Warriors and the Roosters. But fortunately for them, it balances back out and they're back at home for those round 11 by, round 16 by, and round 20 by. So they will play the major by round coming up first, which is around 13 against Penrith, who you'd imagine would be fairly decimated. But that round 11 by isn't bad to start off with Dragons. It's 10 rounds away, so that's okay. The teams that they're starting off with, though, I sort of see the draw as a mixed bag. They've got the Titans, who are going to be out some players we've just heard about as well, with Campbell and David Fafita just about ruled out for round one. And then they're going to be playing the Dolphins. Now, both of those, I think, are pretty decent matchups. Uh, the Cowboys playing at home for St. George is better than what you could expect. And the Seagulls are probably going to be better. But, you know, it's, it's not the worst first month. The Knights have run hot. That's at Newcastle, though, so you could say that's tough. The Tigers are a good one. And then, obviously, the Roosters. And um, pretty much from round seven onwards, I don't think you want any Dragons because you're going to be playing the Warriors, the Roosters, the Sharks, and the Bunnies. And that's the worst four-week stretch out of the first third of the season. So, Marty, how do you feel about it? Because to me, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Some good early matchups, um, not the best immediate um, home games for them. And I don't know really what to make of that draw for them. I like our draw. I think um, I had a look at it all and sort of worked out where we were relative to other teams. And it seems like we have a relatively easy start compared to most. Not the easiest, but... And we're not a very good team. So realistically, when you look at any draw, it always looks a little bit ominous. But um, I think it's a good start for us. Um, not, not so good through the middle, but that's a bit misleading because if you look at the teams that we play, the better teams, I think it's the Broncos and possibly the Storm it might be, uh, a lot of their players uh, are out for origin. So it's even a, it's nicer in the middle than it appears. And then the run home is actually relatively nice with four out of the last five. So if you have a look at it, I would suggest the Titans missing one of their most dynamic backs, although Sini's a pretty good um, replacement, and for Fido, I think that's very winnable. Uh, then the, the, they've got the second game on the road against the Dolphins, and the Dolphins are still a new team. They've got a lot of new players this year. It'll take them a while to settle down. There are a few issues in the spine at the Dolphins, so I think both of those games are winnable if they're good enough. Cows are very difficult to predict because they were so bad, and historically they start really slowly. Eagles, obviously, a, a fantastic side with Turbo back. Uh, but I don't know. that we, we do well against the Eagles. Like you have those teams that, for some reason, you seem to match up quite well with and other teams that you don't match up well with. The Eagles are a team that we have often played very well against. Then you've got the Knights. I think the Knights um, slightly overachieved last year. I do think they're a good side, but I think they're beatable. Tigers is obviously a sort of at a similar level as we are, so that's good. And then you get to the Warriors, and I think the Warriors were huge overachievers last year, and I'm expecting them to fall off significantly. 
then you get to the Roosters. And that game, the Roosters, that's probably the Anzac Day game, is it? Yeah, that's the Anzac Day one. That's the yeah. one. Well, I mean, every time we play the Roosters, their lineup is so much better than ours. But usually when we play the Roosters, it's it's us or you by like two points or so. They're very, very tight games. There's a lot of the players lift for Anzac Day. And so I would be thinking that in the first eight rounds, given our roster, I think you should be really we should be really pleased with who we play. Uh, there's no reason why we can't win, say, four out of that eight. Realistically, we'll probably win one, but it's there for <laughs> us. And, you know, then after that, it's there's, there's only one five-day turnaround in the whole year for us, which is nice. It's there for us. If we're good enough, we can start the season quite well, but you'd certainly want to be aborting on your Dragons players if you can by kind of round eight. Like, if you are a Dragons fan and you want to get a few guys, you should probably try to get some of them in round one because you're probably not going to want many of them in round 20. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think that uh, although the last four weeks, you know, you might want to get some for the run home, but for round one teams, mm. I think it's a fine, the draw is fine enough for you to be getting them in straight away. But you, it's going to be a bit of a perilous journey for you to start jumping on Dragons six weeks into the season when knowing that round 11 buy is going to, going to come up pretty quickly. So certainly if you like any of them, for Supercoach, uh, you can look at starting with them for round one. And when you're looking at the roster, Marty, I kind of think it's just about a wash. I mean, the gains, Corey Allen's out for the year, which is unfortunate. I don't know how much he would have played anyway. Uh, probably the ones that are going to be the most relevant are going to be Eisenhuth coming from the Storm, Raymond Fatala Mariner, who's just come over from the Bulldogs, Kyle Flanagan that's come over from the Bulldogs, Selle that's returned to Souths, uh, returned from Souths back to the Dragons, and Tui Pilotu might get some time as well from Manly. So there's there's some gains there. Some of them might, will be starting. But losses-wise, I mean, probably there's some longer-term guys that needed to go, obviously. Someone like Josh Kerr is still pretty young, but he's just never fulfilled his potential. Jaden Sullivan is probably the, the big loss. Uh, I think, obviously, a lot of Dragons fans thought that he was going to come through, thought that he was going to be a half of the future, and it just hasn't ended up materialising, and he's gone off to the Tigers where he'll start. Overall, though, it seems like a bit of a wash to me, and really the biggest change is going to be fighting and coming in, what style they're going to play, and how they're going to come out for him round one. And that's probably going to be the biggest thing. He's got a full preseason with them. That's the biggest roster movement for them is going to be the coach and what that actually changes for them. Yeah, I think the biggest advantages for us this year are, is not necessarily the roster. It's what's been happening behind the scenes. Um, unfortunately, those it's your coaches and your assistant coaches and your your high performance managers, they're not the ones that actually score the tries and make the tackle. So ideally, I would have liked to have seen at least one higher profile name and we didn't get that, um, not through lack of trying, unfortunately. But if you have a look at it, I think we lost a lot of stuff that wasn't really relevant. And then the other four we lost, who I think does have a lot of upside if he can find the right coaching is Billy Burns. So he's off to the Storm. Um, sorry, sorry, he's originally at the Storm, went to the Dragons, and now he's off to the Sharks. I should have mentioned Burns. I'll jump in there because I, I actually really, really liked Burns when he started some games last year. And I thought that he looked really good as an edge back, right? Yeah, so he, he definitely has a lot of points in him, which is something the Dragons lack. Uh, his mistake at going through the juniors was always that uh, makes a lot of errors and he was a very poor defender. Last year, when he started the games, you could see that that was improving. Uh, he looked very different to me last year. I was 
kind of a bit ho-hum on losing him or keeping him. But then when you looked at the guys we signed to replace him, but more importantly, when you look at what's coming through SG Ball and Jersey Flag, the reality is we've got so many really good juniors coming through that, you know, you have to let go some people to free up cap space and, and just names to fit in the team. So he had to go for that reason. Sullivan, as you said, he's the one that I feel like we probably might regret. The problem with him is that he has so many hamstring problems and, you know, your best ability is your availability. The Dragons had real concerns as to whether you'd get more than 10 games a year out of him. We lost to Mone, obviously. So, uh, you know, one of the most underskilled and lazy footballers I've seen. I just can't believe that they were paying him $500,000 a year, but they were. He seemed to show a lot of potential a couple of years ago, but it's just there's a long list of players, unfortunately, who show a lot of potential in juniors. And, like, I watched some of his... Um, lower grade games and also just when he came into grade and he certainly had some talent and some skill but he just it, it's one of those things isn't it? it's an age-old story where a guy has all this skill and ability but then for a couple of years he just doesn't doesn't show it and he just doesn't keep developing and that was sort of how I felt about Amon so I think if you lost him two years ago I think the Dragons fans and certainly fans in general like me would have said oh that could be a tough loss he could be really good but after you see him for a couple of years go through the motions a little bit, oh, I think you can probably pretty much wear that one and it's okay. Amone was the person who I was just really disappointed in. He just dominated through the juniors. But we've seen this happen to half so many times. They just don't they just don't man up when you need them. It comes down to attitude and his attitude sucked. When you look at the guys they lost, um, yeah, I mean, Sullivan, I think, was unfortunate. But outside of that, there's nobody there that I wanted to keep. Um, so the question then is, I guess, what did you replace them with? And... You know, so Harme Sally, Dragons Jr., happy to be back home. I was disappointed when we lost him to the Rabbits a few years back. Um, I really like him. He'll get more minutes. He's big. He's tough. He's great. Then you've got Fafita and um, Tua Tavake, who they took mid-season from the Eagles. That was that really weird player swap with Woodsy. I, I don't understand why they would take Woods and give us two of their, their best up-and-coming props. Then you've got Fatala Mariner, and I mean, he's such a talented, creative player. He's only played 100 first-grade games, you know, 30 years of age, and he's only racked up 100 games. So you can see his issue. It's always been his fitness and injuries. Mm, that's that's why people will argue he's not a great signing. Look, I've sort of I've tempered a few expectations of Dragons fans, but we'll, we'll get to the players. We'll get to the players shortly on the game because I think half of these guys are going to be pretty super coach relevant. I mean, yeah. I think the big question is with this roster, like how do you how do you see them going this year? Because we can basically say the roster's pretty much a wash, like the same type of team that they're gonna that they had last year, and obviously last year it wasn't very good. I've got them pinned for probably bottom four again. I don't think they'll get the spoon. Um, but I, I certainly think they'll be bottom four. I guess my big question for Supercoach is how do I see the season kind of unfolding for them to get to bottom four? And I look at it and go, you know what, new coach, off-season. I do think Flano will make some changes. I do think the attack will be better than what we've seen potentially. And because of that, I think they'll start better, but then they'll fade away. And and I think that that's probably how I sort of see them. Bottom four, starting okay as an average team and then fading away to one of the bottom four teams. But how do you sort of see it and also the changes that Flano might make to the game plan? Well, they had no game plan, so anything is a change. <laughs> yeah, look, I think you're spot on. As, as a rule of thumb, like if you're the sort of person that, you know, gets into your, your margin bets on people bet early, um, you'll find that in the first sort of six rounds of the year, if in doubt, if you're looking at a team with a 10.5-point head start, always take the team with the head start. The bookies always get it wrong early. And the reason for that is the teams that are like, say, the Panthers, they know they're going to be there at the money end of the season, whereas the teams at the bottom end of the table, they kind of know that their best chance of banking some points is early. 
you know, the Dragons, for example, have never been a very expressive team. They don't have fast outside backs. They don't have a lot of creativity through the spine. They don't spread the ball wide. They don't go early. They tend to play a, a tough driving game, but so do their opponents at the beginning of the season because they've got new blokes settling into positions and they don't really want to show their hand too early anyway. So uh, you'll find that the Dragons could start quite well. Um, and, yeah, the problem is where other teams are going to develop and incrementally get better and then by the time they hit kind of round 20, they're absolutely firing. I think you'll find, while I think it'll be better this year under Flanagan than under previous coaches, the truth is, do we really have that the ceiling in some of our players to actually get where we want to go? And the answer is not. Unfortunately, I would have to say we are the favourites to win the spoon and deservedly so. There's enough improvements in that side. There's a lot of uh, experience. I, I know Lay Lua hasn't been announced yet, but I'm hearing it very, very strongly that he's on. Um, so he will improve us again. There's so many good young players coming through. I've got no concerns with the pack. I think the pack's going to go really well this year. I, the problem is depth um, and also lack of speed in the outside back. So I think that's where the Dragons are, are going to struggle is they'll work really hard. They'll compete hard. Flanagan will give them a good game plan. The problem is that they, I just don't actually see how they're going to score enough points to win. Yeah, and it's a big issue with Supercoach. Uh, I mean, Supercoach, it's a good example is a team like the Titans. You know, Titans historically haven't been a particularly great team. They're not like a perennial top eight team or anything like that. But even though they could finish bottom four in seasons and they still score points, they just can't defend and they just lose games. That's fine for Supercoach, whereas someone like the Dragons... Yeah, that's right. ...not being able to score on the footy field affects you being able to score as a Supercoach player. And we see that we see that big time with the options. So let's start going through the options for Supercoach. Gun status. Who are the guns for the Dragons? Well, general criteria forever for a gun has always been a 60-plusser on scoring, and they've only got one. And that is Zach Lomax uh, for the last, well, for three out of the last four years, he's actually been a super coach guard. In 2020, he averaged 68 points per game, which is his best ever. Went down to 57 as a fallen gun in 2021, back up to 60, 2022, and 62 in 2023. So he's priced at a 62 mark, which puts him at 630,500 as a center wing option. The good thing with him is always going to be the fact that he's a goal kicker. Um, it is nice to add that to his points. The problem is, like Marty said, the Dragons don't particularly score a lot. Like if you if you go down his scoring, you know he's got he's got games going, you know, four points in his scoring, six points, six points, minus two because he's missed his only goals, minus four. Uh, so unfortunately, because the Dragons don't score a lot of points, it, it doesn't really help him too much as a goal kicker. But it is there. I think the the positives for him have always been he's got a pretty good base. His raw base last year was thirty six. Now, he should get more tackle breaks and he probably should get more offloads too. He only had a seven base attack, so it puts him at a, a 42 floor, but closer to a 50 floor if you're looking at his goal kicking being in there as well. That's always been the good thing about Zach Lomax. Uh, the problem is that he just doesn't give you much more than that often and he doesn't score a lot of tries. And when you're having a look at it as well, last year, he actually scored seven tries, which is pretty good for him. He doesn't normally score more than that anyway. So it's a bit of a conundrum because, you know, does he really have much more try scoring ability? Maybe a little, but he hasn't really shown more than that seven that he's priced at before. And where is he going to play? And that's probably the other big thing. You know, it's great to have a 36 raw base at centre, but if he ends up finding himself on the wing, that raw base is going to drop. Now, he might have a really good raw base for a winger. He'll get, he'll have more hit-ups. 
uh, and certainly more chance at some tackle breaks potentially, but he's going to lose a lot in tackles as well. So even if he's doing really well on the wing, his raw base is still going to drop to 30 if he's doing exceptional. So you're probably going to be looking at uh, probably a net four to six point loss on his base base attack if he's going to be going to a wing. Uh, and that's probably that's just going to depend on you know how we sort of see the teams lining up. The last two seasons, though, it's been pretty consistent, Marty. He's only going around 45 to 46% of the time, 60 plus. And, and that's a big issue. He had two back-to-back huge scores of 138, 115. But outside of that, he only went 70 plus last season four times. And that's the issue. He's just not getting enough of those 60 plus or 70 plus scores to warrant paying 630K to start the season with. So, I mean, that's all the numbers. That's the tail of the tape for him. How do you see him? for this super coach season? And also, just as importantly, where do you actually see him sitting as far as position on the field? So at training, he's moved around between fullback and wing primarily. A big part of that was the fact that Sloan was injured for a fair bit of the off-season. So if you look at the, the minutes he's been running in training, it's mainly been at fullback, but there's a reason for that. I was shocked when they first spoke about Bird going back to centre. The biggest concern I have around that is that the Dragons are the slowest team I've ever seen. And the truth is we've been like this for four or five years now. I I just can't understand why our guys can't understand that speed is king in the outside backs. It's just so slow. So if you have Lomax at centre, who's reasonably quick, but he's certainly not expressed, not not since his injuries, he's slowed down a fair bit. And then you have someone like um, Sione for now on on the wing, then you've got a bit of speed in there. To bring Bird into centre means you've got a very slow, cumbersome centre who is renowned for his poor lateral defence. And then you move Lomax from a position where he's quick enough to a position where he can be easily exposed. So I don't know if that experiment's going to last for very long. People will look at Bird and go, well, he played his best football under Flanagan, and Bird's a pretty emotional guy. So I do think he'll he'll play a lot better this year under Flano. And they talk about Bird his best position has been centre, and that's also true. I mean, he, when he made his origins boot, he was playing centre. But, you know, he's had three major injuries since then, and he's lost a lot of speed. Um, I just, I'm not sure if he's going to bounce back at all. The problem with Bird is they tried him at, at edge back row, and he wasn't great. Um, they tried him at lock, and he wasn't great. And so he is a player that's clever. Like, he's got a lot of points in him. So I think this is almost like the last chance saloon for him. I think that they're going to start him off at centre. But the coach has already come out and said if there's an injury in the halves, he's the first person to go into 5'8", which unfortunately is true because we have no depth. So you're looking at uh, a player there that's going to impact Lomax and and impact the whole team. So I think if you were looking at at Lomax, there's a few things you'd be concerned about. Firstly is, yeah, his, his base has been so good. He's such a good defensive player. That's Lomax's strength. It's not his attack, it's his defence. So when you move him away from centre where he can make 20 tackles a game and put him into wing room, might only make three to four. That's a lot to lose. So if you're going to lose that, he's got to make up those stats through attack, which if he was on the end of the Broncos' back line, no problem. But he's not. He's on the end of the Dragons' back line. So how many tries do you think he's going to make? He'd probably need to score 16 tries a wing to, to even catch up to his lack of base. So that's a problem. And then the final thing, and I'm not sure about this yet, um, is Lomax kicks at 75%, which is pretty good. And But now that we've got Flanagan, Flanagan's an elite kicker. He kicks at 81.5%. There's not many players in the league that actually statistically kick better than Flanagan. So that's the other issue. Is Lomax even going to hold on to the goal kicking? Um, and I don't know. They're both they're both practicing. They're both training. I, I have no idea. I haven't heard any inside word. But 
that would be one thing to take into consideration with Lomax. You're not only losing the base and potentially not adding any upside to it, but you might also lose the goal kicking. So where does that make him stand? Well, for that sort of money, you wouldn't be paying up for Lomax. No, no chance. And look, you got to look at the worst case scenario for Supercoach. And the worst case scenario is he averages like 52. Probably that's the worst case. It could even be lower, but I'm going to put him at, you know, low 50s, 50 to 52. He's priced at 62. Like it's just an absolute death sentence. And that's a decent probability to happen that he loses kicking and he loses a lot of base points and he doesn't score a lot more tries. Um, Try-wise, I actually don't see him as a very good finisher on the wing. These finishers on the wing these days are very dynamic. They're very specialised. They're very fast and they're very agile. And it's just not Zach Lomax. No, so it's a it's a weird decision. It's a decision that seems to be made purely to get the best out of Bird. But one thing I will say about Flanagan, and, and look, we've actually made some better signings in the last sort of, particularly forget they law, you know, I'm actually a lot more confident now than I was, say, six weeks ago. Um, but I remember looking at the team thinking Flanagan's a very good coach. He doesn't really have a lot to work with, but what he can do is he can change players around positionally. And I really wanted Lomax to go to 5'8". That's where I reckon his best position will be. Then they started talking about him playing fullback, and I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. We need that speed of Sloney. Uh, then it sounds like Sewer is going to swap sides again. Um, so he's going to move from the right to the left. Uh, and then with the centres, Bird suddenly dropping in there, and there was talk about the centre swapping sides again. It, it seems to me that what Flanagan is doing is sort of going, I don't necessarily have the best players, but I can change the positioning a little bit and see if I can get 5 to 10% more out of all of my players. There's not really a lot of inside word out of training yet as to how it's all going to gel together, particularly with the makeup of the bench. He seems to be keeping everybody keen and he seems to be pumping the tyres of a lot of players as well. So you heard that with Egan, all of a sudden everyone's putting Egan in their team. So Egan's not even in the top 30. You can't, he's not eligible to play until round 11, I think it is. So, you know, you, that's the danger with the Dragons. They changed that rule, I think. That, um, they only just changed it recently where development players can actually, you can actually play them now if they're on a development contract. So, right. yeah, but I, I agree with you, though. I, I think that everyone sort of, <laughs> it's just, that's Flano style. He's a player's coach, right? Yeah, he he's, is. He's, he's not an X's and O's type of guy. Yeah. He's a player's coach, you know, and that's why he worked well with Trinella getting that premiership. And, you know, he's, He's coached locally where I played. He actually coached a team that I ended up leaving, um, which I've mentioned a couple of times that I played against him in some semifinals and stuff. He's he's always been a player's coach, whether it was when he was doing Park footy A grade or whether it's bringing the Sharks to a premiership. He had veterans on that team and he he knew how to get the best out of the veterans and the people that he had rather than actually having all these extravagant game plans or this big footy IQ. So I certainly see the pumping of the tyres and I thought that immediately with Egan. Um, but look, I have to say with Lomax, just to finish on Lomax and move on to the next guy, because I'm sure you've got a lot to say about Ben Hunt. Um, <laughs> I, I I, have to say, I, I just about don't believe in Lomax anymore. And I know that you'll probably disagree with me there and that's 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 fine. But I think that Lomax has been in the league long enough where it's almost a point now that he just hasn't, for the money, I don't know if he's ever going to provide enough now at this point. And I don't know if he's great at any position you know, he's he's a decent centre, not a great one. And he's not going to be a good winger. And I'm happy to eat my words in six months, but I'm going to say now he's not going to be a good winner. winger. I would hate to have him at one. And I think at six, he might be as good as centre, but that's okay for me. And it might just be a point of, you know what, in the future years, we can get better value on the market with Lomax's money going elsewhere. And for Supercoach, 
it's real life feeding straight into fantasy here, Marty. <laughs> I'm going to say the same thing with Supercoach. You get better for the money for 630K. There's just too much downside. And if he's got the upside, it's just that he's okay. And that's not good enough for round one Supercoach, Steve. Yeah, that's right. With players like Lomax, I have the same attitude towards him as I have towards a lot of the Dragons players. Hasn't had the greatest rosters, but they've also had absolutely horrendous um, coaches. And if you look at the Dragons, like they were so unfit last year as well. And if you look at the rehab, players that should have come back in two weeks took four weeks to come back. And so when Flanagan was signed, one of the first things he did was um, get his uh, fitness and conditioning guys that he's worked with before back into the team. And so... Uh, again, the the off-field signings, the, you're going to see a, a remarkably different Dragons team. Like, Bird's nine kilos less than he was at the end of last year. Like, that's a hell of a lot of weight to lose. I was looking at Sloney. He's bulked up massively. Um, they're, they're much faster than they were last year. So those guys are already making a big change. Like, Lomax asked to do sprint training at one stage last year. He actually wanted to work with um, one of the ex-Olympic guys to to just work on his speed and Griffin turned him down. Like it was just bizarre what was happening last year in the club. So I think this is the year for Lomax. I think if at the end of this year, you sort of go, he's had a, a muddling season. Then at that point, I guess you could probably go, well, maybe he's just not as good as we thought. Um, I don't believe that for one minute. I think Lomax is an excellent player, but he's certainly been disappointing for the last couple of years. And my concern is the thing that you just raised. And that is when you got a player that's been a little bit down on form, why would you move into a position where it just doesn't really suit him? He's not fast. He's not massively big. He's got a great sidestep, but you don't sidestep much at wing. You know, it's a, it's really sort of, you know, zero to hero speed and the ability to take a massive hit and still drive drive into the try line. And I, it just doesn't strike me as that kind of player. So, yeah, I think it's going to be hard for Lomax to shine given the positional change. So, yeah, I think anybody that starts with Lomax is mad. Ball and guns. There's a few of them for the Dragons. Benny Hunt, he's going to be the first one, obviously. Uh, look, Hunt's obviously asked for a release several times. Uh, he's saying the right things now. And for Supercoach, that has a, a big effect. He's just under 600,000, 599, 600. And I do think that there is a lot of teams, myself included, who have said, I'm going to start with one of Cleary and Hines, and I'm going to have to replace that other spot with someone who I think has got upside. I have seen a few people here and there mention Ben Hunt. And I kind of understand why, because obviously he's got the name value and he did have a breakout 67 point per game season in 2021 but the last two years you know it, it should be concerning for I think anyone considering Ben Hunt the tail of the numbers is that in 2022 he went 56 points per game and in 2023 he went 59 points per game and how he's done that is pretty uninspiring because he actually scored in 2023 the most tries that he scored in a season in eight years. He scored eight tries for the season across 22 games, and he really doesn't have much more upside than that. You know, it's been 10 years since he's done better. It's um, it's not great reading if you're looking at upside for Ben Hunt. One of the numbers that is good for him is that the last two years he's played 23 and 22 games. That's very positive because it's much better than what he's done for several years and certainly the best years that he's had at the Dragons as far as his availability goes. One of the things that was evident last year is obviously towards the middle of the season to the end of the season, he was disgruntled. Uh, but if you do look at the first 10 round average, he ended up with a 61 average for rounds one to 10. Now that was far better than the final third of the season at 53 points per game. So you can maybe put that down to him being uh, affected motivationally, not wanting to play for the Dragons and all that type of stuff. I would expect that if you are 
going to have Ben Hunt, and this might be also for draft players. You know, if you're going to draft Ben Hunt, and, and somebody will because he deserves to be drafted, you're going to want him for that first first couple of months of the season because I do think that he's going to be fired up. He's going to be committed to the club. And when things start to go bad mid-season, provided that they do start getting the losses piling up and then they aren't playing finals footy again, I do expect him to probably taper off and maybe even ask for another release again and all that sort of stuff to maybe fire up again. But the other thing too is that really concerns me as a number is 34. 34 is how old he is going to be by round three of this NRL season. And that's getting on as well. So for a guy, Marty, that's gone 59 or 56 the last couple of years, scored a lot of tries last year, doesn't have a good base at 20, has next to no base attack at 12, so it's a 32 floor. At 600K, there is no value there. There is only downside. And the best I think that people can hope for is that maybe he scores three points a game or so better in the first 10 rounds of the season and in a critical position like halfback for Supercoach. You just can't go near him either, unfortunately. No, so if you look at Hunt, he's never really been a gun. He had 67 average during 21, but that was Volandis ball. All of the halves killed it during Volandis ball. Like when you're, if you're a supercoach player and you're looking back through to the statistics of the last five to six years, I just don't even look at 2021. It was just a an artificial kind of concept. Um, other than that, he's only he, he had a season where he hit 60, but other than that, he's always been in the 50s. Um, the problem with him, yeah, he's getting old. And if you look at the guys that are really still succeeding in football as well as the supercoach perspective, they tend to be the guys that um, are good clutch players. They're guys that can push you around the field and they they know what to do when it counts. So guys like Cherry Evans is the best example. But, you know, Adam Reynolds as well. Um, I would suggest that um, Johnson had probably his best ever season last year. The thing is that Hunt's not like that. Hunt's a very good running, running player. Like he's good with the ball in hand, but he, he doesn't really get that many try assists, you know, he doesn't really have a great short kicking game. Uh, he's one of those guys that it's, it's Hunt's always been about himself, which is where a lot of the problems between him and the Dragon supporter base are coming from. There's just a selfishness to the way he plays uh, and he just doesn't set his team up well. So I, I see at 34 years of age, I see no reason at all why he's going to improve. The point you make is valid and that is that he could come out and go better at the beginning of the season. So if you're if you sat down and you had just the right money to get him and, and sort of not enough to go a little bit higher, then, you know, he's not necessarily the worst player. The thing that I think is going to help him this year is that this is the first season for a long time that he's actually had a, a controlling half to play with. So Flanagan Jr., he's not the world's greatest player by any stretch of the imagination, but he does have a big football brain and he is a good controlling half. So while Hunt is going to wear... Um, uh, seven and Flanagan's going to wear six. Flanagan is actually going to play halfback and Hunt is going to play five eight. And I've said for years that if you look at Hunt's best position, Hooker is his best position, five eight is his second best position, and halfback is his third best position because he just actually doesn't have what's required to be an elite half. And you know, paying a million dollars to someone like that, I think you'll find the Tigers might might experience the same problem next year when Luai gets there. I think that's a really good comparison, to be honest, just to jump in on the Luai comparison is really good. And I will say with Hunt, like with your, I agree with you. And I think that the glass half full approach is that Flanagan could take pressure off him and that could open up Ben Hunt's best game, which is his individuality and his running and stuff. But the glass half empty question with that is, hang on, maybe that means that, you know, he's going to have less general play kicking. That's a given. Does that mean that he gets less forced dropouts, less assists, and if he does that when he's already not getting a lot of scoring points, a lot of clutch attacker points, does that really kill him 
even worse. I think that that's going to be a big question as well, isn't it? Well, that's right. I think in terms of actually looking at it from a Dragons perspective as a player and saying what does the team need, Hunt playing this style of football is exactly what we need. But we're talking super coach, really, and from a super coach perspective, yes, it just puts another question mark or possibly even a cross through that box. He will not have the ball in his hands anywhere near as much. I think this year it would be a lot better for the Dragons. But in terms of trying to choose a halfback, when you're looking at – because I'm going Cleary Hines. I'm not even considering anybody else this year. Um, But if you were to drop down to somebody else, to me, the only other person I'd remotely consider would be Moses, and that's because of the draw that the Eels That's my boy. Yeah. So if I need to find an extra couple, uh, 250 grand or whatever it is, that's the one change I might, might make to my team. I'm really happy with the team I have at the moment. I've, but if if I looked at it and suddenly went, oh, geez, I need to find some money, I would happily downgrade Cleary to Moses to start, but I would not downgrade Cleary or Hines to anyone other than Moses. There is literally not a single half in the competition that's going to come anywhere near those guys. Uh, but I think Moses could. I think I think Moses, um, the more I think about it, the more I'm sort of coming around to Moses. So, um, yeah, so, a, again, when you look at Supercoach, it's not a matter of just looking at the player you need to look at the other players in similar pricing points. And then to get really complicated, you need to look at other positions and how if you can save 60 grand going down to hunt, can you use that 60 grand to upgrade, say, Palisir to someone like a Totola or whatever? You know, it's all about the way the points group as a team. It's not about individuals. Um, but I don't really think Hunt ticks any box for you at Supercoach this year. No, he doesn't. But I'll, I'll give you one positive point, just so we're, you know, devil's advocate and everything. Uh, the first five games of last season, he went 89, 24, 57, 103, and 88. So his first five-round average was actually high. Uh, he had one dud at 24, but then, you know, obviously three that were between 88 and 103 in his first five games. And he had some similar draw, right? He put 103 on the Dolphins in that run. He put 89 versus the Titans and 88 versus the Titans because they had two games out of those first five against the Titans. So there is actually some positive starting numbers that suggest he could have some big games to start with. When you, uh, I'll just counter that and finish off on Benny Hunt, though, to say the 103 he got in round five was his only ton and he barely crossed that line. And only 29% of his games, he went 70 plus, which is what you consider a, a late scoring for me. And he couldn't do that very often at all. So in a critical position like halfback, I just don't think you can do it. Now, if Supercoach would have just been nice this year, Marty, if the Supercoach gods or Tommy Sangster came through and went, you know what, Benny Hunt played hooker enough or put him in as a dual hooker, I'd be a lot more happier. But he's not easy. If he was hooker, I reckon a few of us might be a bit more keener. Yeah, I think the three positions in Supercoach, you just shouldn't try to get too funky with uh, hooker, halfback and fullback. You know, so if you're going to decide you want to take a few pods or take a gamble in a couple of positions, have, have a look around and see if you can find someone in centre wing, for example, who has a really nice draw. So, for example, I've taken Mulatalo at centre wing this year. Uh, the, the Sharks draw is just so juicy. You know they love going left. It's a very established team. I, I can see tons there for Mulatalo. Um but when you look at sort of Hunt compared to you know, Cleary, Hines, Moses, it's like, you know, these guys have got 80s to 100s to 150s in them. I can't see a world in which Hunt turns up. And if he does, he'll only just get there. You know, there's no way he's going to get 130. So, yeah, I just think for any new super coach player that's looking at it, just realise that there's a few positions on the field which are sort of roll goal with high, with high ceilings. 
Um, don't risk those positions. Take a risk on like a front row forward. Like you might find someone like a Totola or someone who's heaps cheaper that could easily hit 55 to, and maybe if he gets a try, maybe he'll get 65 or 70. And maybe there's not that big a difference in the scoring over the first six rounds between those props. But there can be a hell of a difference in the scoring between your halfbacks. So yeah, just don't take a risk on those sorts of players, in my opinion. So the next fallen gun, we're not going to spend too much time on because he just doesn't have much to talk about, and that's Jack DeBellin. Jack DeBellin had some good seasons prior to him being stood down, which we're not going to get into on this podcast. But when he did return, uh, he came back for 11 games in 2021, and he went 55 points. 2022, he went 54. And he upped that to 57 in 2023. And I think that there was a bit of a... Oh, flavor of the month for him last year with with trade-ins and stuff, especially because he played that first buy in 2023 uh, and because he kept getting these these big-minute games. You know, he came in last year and he played 47 and 40 minutes in his first two games. And then all of a sudden, he averaged 70-plus minutes for a good three months of football where he went 80 minutes, 68 minutes, 80 minutes, 74, 71, 80 minutes, 70 and 62 and he came out of the bye period where he missed a couple of games and played 83 times, 64 and 70, and then he was out again. So it meant that he averaged 68 minutes for the season, which included uh, three games that were in the 40s in minutes. So, I mean, some people might even say that the, the idea was to play him 80 minutes or at least 75-plus minutes as an average, in which case, you know, he would have gotten into the 60s for an average I think that the big problem with him is, one, he's obviously, uh, like Ben Hunt, he's got a March birthday and he's going to turn 33 years old, so just a year younger than Ben Hunt. He does have that couple of years out of football, which is going to help him, but all of his points are base, and that is Jack DeBellin now. He started in his younger days to develop quite a nice offload and some ball playing. That's that's all but gone now. He had a 51 base last year for his 57 average and six base attack, you know, and that pretty much tells you how much how much scoring he had. He had one try uh, the entire season playing 16 games. So we're not going to get much but meat and potatoes out of him. And I think there's actually a lot of downside. He's he's under 500,000. As a guy that you can have as a dual front row forward, second row forward, I reckon at sub 500K, there might be a few people that end up starting to look at him. I actually think that there's downside on his price, Marty, because he's priced at 57 points, but it's 68 minutes. And I do not think that Flano is going to play him 68 minutes, which is basically it's his highest minute since he came back a few years ago. So if if those minutes go down to, say, 60, which I think is a good possibility, he's going to lose like seven points. Like he's going to be struggling to hit 50 points per game. There is just no value there when he was playing those sort of minutes at his age with the new coach coming in. Yeah, so from a super coach perspective, he'll have a regression year. Uh, the only reason why he really was playing 68 minutes, the intention was never to play him 80. The problem they had at the Dragons is that they pushed Woods and Kerr out mid-season um, to free up cap space, basically. Francis Myler was coming back from an injury, and it wasn't until really the last five to six rounds of the season that you actually started to see Francis Milo play really good football. Since he signed to the Dragons, he's just had a horrendous run with injuries. Uh, he's one of those guys who could absolutely fire this year. Uh, Michael Moller was sort of coming through, but he was sort of learning his trade. And so there was so many injuries in the middle. They really needed a a big, aggressive, big-minute player. And JDB, along with maybe um, Travojevic, is still probably in the top five defenders in the in, in the game. So they sort of needed him for big minutes, but it's changed this year. There's so many mouths to feed now. So with JDB, will primarily be prop. So I think they might start with JDB at lock. 
And then when they bring Fatala Mariner on, I think he might play maybe 55 minutes and play the rest of the game out at lock. Um, and JDB, when he when he comes back on the field for a second stint, will be prop. But then he's got guys like Eisenhuth coming through. We'll should have Leilua shortly. You've got a whole heap of um, really good up-and-coming props. Um, and then in SG Fleg coming through the year after, you've got Fina Lazo, who's the Aussie um, schoolboy, an insane player. So the decision has already been made that JDB is not going to be our lock. Uh, you'll still see him play minutes there, but I wouldn't be surprised to see his minutes drop down to 50, 55 maybe. So if he averaged 57 on 68, I, I, I think you'd be looking at a player that's going to be, I think he'll average less than 50 this year, JDB. Now that doesn't mean he's not going to play well. I actually think that's the role we need him for. And the next person you're going to get to, which is Laurie, um, I'm going to say pretty much the same thing about Laurie. The issue isn't so much about, um, you know, the coaches don't choose players because they worry about our super coach teams. They choose players because that, that's what the team needs to win. And both JDB and Laurie have to have very, very different roles this year. So from a super coach perspective, he's a massive avoid. Do you need to take a quick break from the footy talk to talk about a brand new partner of the All-Stars podcast? And that is oneworldcourier.com.au. You can jump on One World Courier and have a look, but if you own a business, no matter how small or big, they can take care of all your freight and shipping needs. They also can help you out. Just if you work somewhere and you're in charge of shipping or you need to get courier services done, they're the best in the market. And I'll tell you why One World Courier are the best, because they have a platform that basically compares the market, allows you to choose the best service and the best price for you. If you go on there and sign up, then you're eligible to start looking. If you need to ship or courier anything, just go and have a look. They'll give you all the different prices and services that are going to be available for you in your market, and you can just choose the best one for you and the cheapest or the one that you think is going to give you the best service. But I tell you what, when it comes to service, One World Courier will give you the best. They've got five-star service, I guarantee it, and they are fantastic to deal with and really unique in market. They've got that compare the market uh, ability with their platform and everything as well. They also take care of all the shipping and everything as far as making sure you've got a warranty included and they track that shipping from point A to point B to make sure it always gets done great and professionally. So jump onto oneworldcourier.com.au today. When you do, go to sign up just to create an account if you want to see some of the rates and things to compare them to your current service. And when you do that, there is a referred by box. Just make sure you do referred by all stars. Just all stars is fine. And that way, I guarantee you, they'll give you some of the best service, but also they'll make sure that you get some of the best rates to start with as well as a referral from the All-Stars podcast. But go on to oneworldcourier.com.au and sign up today. They'll take great care of you. They'll give you the best rates, and they'll also give you the safest shipping service. Now, back to the footy talk. We had our rising guns to talk about next, and the first one on that list was Laurie. He is 565000 as a front rower, it puts him in an interesting position because it basically is going to benchmark him against guys like Max King uh, and really quite similar to Max King last year. You know, he had 55 points per game across 52 minutes. Um, he didn't really have those real big minute games like a Max King, uh, but he managed to have a really good PPM. Now, his PPM was 1.07. There isn't really any reason to say that he couldn't continue with that. Uh, raw base of 48. So quite similar to Jack DeBellin, except he's he's in his prime years. He's turned 27 a, a few months ago. I actually really liked Laurie last year. I thought that he played really well, and it was his best super coach scoring by far. He was actually eight points value last year. In 2022, he only averaged 47 or 50 minutes, and he made 55 or 52 minutes. Now, the numbers, people will go, well, there'll be one camp that says 
he only got two more minutes and he averaged eight more points. He's improved immensely. That's great. There's growth there and there should be at his age. The naysayers will look at the numbers and say, well, that looks like an anomaly. And that looks like that he could regress to, in the same minutes, um, being three or four points less in his output and scoring. I really like him, uh, probably a little bit more than what you do, actually. Yeah, look, he was our best forward last year. He had a, a fantastic year. In a year where our pack really just didn't stand up at all, uh, it, he was awesome. I thought he had a really great season. The problem is he is very, very much meat and potatoes. You know, when you've when you scored 55 average and 48 of those was in base, like that doesn't really show you a lot of upside. There's no ceiling there. It is literally just base. Um, and so it's relying upon minutes. And so it's the same with JDB when all of a sudden we've signed a lot of experienced middles um, that are more explosive than Laurier's. And then when you've got some real up and coming young guys, and by young, I mean, if you look at like Tours of Arke and Fafita, they're 23. So they're, they're not like 18 year olds. Um, again, these guys are more explosive than Laurie. So Laurie, to me, is very much a, a, a prop from like the 80s, the 90s. You know, just puts his head down, works ultra aggressive. He has a huge role to play in the Dragons team, and he's, he'd probably be the most popular player in the club. So I really like him, but I don't like him as a 52-minute player. I like him as a 42-minute player. Um, when he gets tired, he loses his line speed and his lateral defence gets exposed. The year before, he was exposed on the try line a lot. He fixed that last year, to his credit, but laterally, he is still very susceptible. He's, he's cumbersome. He's very, very slow. He makes good post-contact metres, but if you look at him run, the opposition swamps him so quickly because he runs arrow straight. You know, those sorts of players, they have a role to play. Everybody, Every club has a team player like that, but... For the Dragons to have any hope this year, we need to get a little bit of attack in there. We need to get a little bit clever. And the truth of it is we probably have to do it through the forwards more than the backs because we haven't really signed much in the backs. So I think JDB and Laurie are both perfect examples of guys that, that play a role. JDP is the king of our defensive line speed. Laurie is the king of our aggression and mongrel. So those two guys are important. But it's the young guys that are going to kick in around that are going to give you that that sort of foot speed and, you know, swerve and step and, you know, offloads. And for us to get the points, we're going to have to be a lot more clever in the forward pack than we were last year. And unfortunately, Laurie is anything but clever. Yeah, he is an old school prop. Um, I do wonder with the minutes, though, like you're, you've got him at losing minutes at 52. I actually thought that he might gain maybe three minutes uh, and I could see him averaging 55. I mean, that's a possibility, but it's going to put him up to like 58, 59 points per game. And the thing that kills him is two things for me more than anything, and that is his price at 556000 If he was 100000 less, I think that he would actually be an option to consider. And the other thing is the last two years when he's been playing basically his best that he's ever played, he went 25% of the time going 60-plus in 2022 and 27% of the time in 2023. He just doesn't go 60-plus enough for a meat and potatoes forward, and that with the price just just kills him. Uh, a more dynamic rising gun, though, is Sloan. There's been talk of other players playing fullback and stuff. Um, you mentioned Lomax, and certainly there's been chatter around You know whether they continue with Sloan. They're going to be continuing with Sloan. Uh, he's coming off a, a season where he averaged 53 points per game. He started, he came into last season on an average of 28. And I really liked him and talked him up in the preseason. And there was a real 50 you 50 know, split on people that believed in him and didn't. Now, I don't, I think there's a lot of holes in his game and there's a lot of things that he can improve. But for Supercoach, he's almost doubled his average 22 to 23. And I do think that uh, he can progress to a 60 plus gun as a rising gun right now. I certainly think he can go to 60 plus. There was a lot of positives to take out of last year for me. Now, one of them was not his base, and that's going to be his downfall. His base was only 20. 
Raw base for a fullback at 20 is atrocious. Much better base attack at 18. Obviously has some good tackle-breaking ability. Uh, Try-wise, his attack was always going to be the thing that was going to really you know, give the foundation to his scoring in Supercoach. He had 10 tries for the season out of 23 games. That's a strike rate, I believe, that he'll either meet or exceed. Uh, probably even exceed it. And he showed some... Some decent upside, but I was quite surprised that he wasn't able to turn up last year despite some big games. And that really comes down to his base. Um, his work rate is just too low for him to turn up. And that's going to be the next progression I want to see him for Supercoach to happen. He had uh, a lot of good games. Like if you look at the final third of last season, he averaged 55 points per game, uh, which, you know, starting off at a 28 average coming into the season is pretty good. But looking at the games, he went 41, 72, 77, 45, 81, a putrid 14 in 80 minutes, and 76. Now, four out of those seven games, he's gone 72 plus, which is pretty good. And no no coincidence that four out of those seven games, he's actually scored a try as well. It's it's a real issue with his uh with his ceiling because he just can't get to those hundred plus games. But only very young Marty does have some development in him, does have a good early draw. I'm talking him up a little bit. I don't think you can consider him really at all because he's fullback only. He's going to be 542,000. For draft, you know, you're getting him late. That could be all right. And I do think that he could start the season with some big scores. For Supercoach, we do obviously need to see uh, his development in his base. So, and to a lesser extent, his ball playing, which he showed some good signs last year that he's getting there. Yeah, so Slane is a, a star in the making. I love the guy. Uh, the key to him really is, is commitment and confidence. And a lot of these young players struggle, particularly blokes from his kind of you know, background. Uh, he, he's he's a kid. He really is a kid. Uh, but he's been made Flano's sort of project this year. And Flano's worked really, really hard with him to get him in the right position. You know, it was interesting. I was, we had an argument on the Dragons Forum the other day. They were comparing him to Buller. Um, and sort of half the Dragons forward was sort of, forum was sort of going, oh, no, but you look at the number of missed tackles compared to Buller. And Buller's an insane tackler. He's such a great defender. And I'm like, what are you talking about? The difference is that Buller throws his head into every tackle. Even if he's got no hope of making it, he'll try. Sloan doesn't even get there. Like, he just literally lets the guy score under the post because he knows he can't really knock the ball out. He just doesn't even get involved. So, you know, I think Sloan's got to work on his defensive um, alignment. But if you look at the the fitness and the kilometres he ran, I think he ran for the, um, the second highest kilometres of any player in the game last year. So, I mean, he's a fit guy and he moves around a lot. He has a beautiful ball playing ability. He's super fast in a team that's not fast. Um, I think he will average over 60. I think this is the year we're going to all look at Sloane and go, right, this guy's a player. Uh, concern I have is, is the Lomax Sloan swap. I don't see how that's going to work yet. Um, if it does, and Slomak finds himself, and Sloan finds himself parked on the wing, well, that's, that's not going to help his scoring. And considering the Dragons go right, not left, I don't see how that's going to help him. So that's my concern with him. Um, I think the biggest thing with Sloan, like if you're a mad Dragon supporter and you're really looking for a pod and, and you love watching Sloan play, and I certainly do, you know, maybe he's worth the risk. But if you want to actually do well in Supercoach, you need to play with your, your head rather than your heart. So you look at a bloke like Sloan and you go, okay, he is our biggest attacking weapon, but he's in a weak team. Uh, it costs 542000 and you can upgrade to Pappenhausen for 103000 more. And Pappenhausen's playing in the Storm team, which is going to be top four, and he's their goal kicker. Or you could downgrade to Campbell. Unfortunately, he's now been injured. But, you know, if you were to downgrade to Campbell, that would, that would save you 86000 
Now Campbell's out, it means Keeney's going to come in and he's only 257000 So you're only going to get a couple of price rises out of Keeney. But, I mean, I would argue that Keeney could potentially make as many points as Sloan. He's a very big attacking weapon and save you damn near $300,000. Or you could go with someone like Weeks or you could go with Stewart. Weeks, I'd prefer to have at 5'8". Stewart, I'd rather have in my centre wing positions. But the point I'm making is that, you know, you've got so many banging fullbacks there that you know are, are insanely good. It's a little bit like the half discussion we had before. Do you really want to take a gamble on a guy that doesn't play in a very good team and is likely to throw out 60s, whereas you could go with someone like a Latrell Mitchell or a Travojevic or a Pappenhaus or go someone cheap purely to make money? Sloan sort of falls in the middle. He's too expensive to make you a lot of money. He's not good enough to make you a lot of points. So what's the point of having him? The other problem Sloan and has, and I noticed this so many times last year, and this is probably you'll find why his attacking stats aren't as good as you'd expect. The Dragons are so slow. The number of times Sloan has put his winger outside his opposite winger, but the winger gets gets chased down before he's even made a line break because he's just so slow. You know, so line break assists and try assists. So I saw so many of those bombs off Sloan last year because he did all the work. He did everything you could possibly expect him to do. But then when the ball got final pass to the guy that you needed to then score, he didn't. You know, and that's the problem with these players that aren't in good attacking teams. And that's where the, the speed or lack of speed we spoke about earlier, that's where it really becomes an issue for guys like Sloan. It's, it's lovely that you can put yourself in the right position, but if the bloke you pass it to isn't good enough to score, well, there goes your your try assist slash line break assist, you know. So, um, you know, those little mistakes can potentially cost you, you know, 16, 20 points a game every game, and it's not your fault. Yep, 100%. And it's I would, I would target Sloan at the end of drafts, and I think that's going to be the only relevant place, but I do expect a career year from him at 60-plus as well. Same. Yep, same. Big balls pod time. <laughs> Who is the, the real, real out there pod to look at for the Dragons? I am not going to do this, and for those that are listening for the first time, which I've said a couple of times, just to explain, Big Balls Pod is beyond a pod. It is a guy that's owned by you know only a couple of percent maybe of coaches or one percent even or less, and it's got some upside there, but, geez, it's got a lot of risk. Ravalawa, I have brought in a couple of times in the last five years just for some runs, particularly around um, buy periods especially. And he does have those huge games in him. He comes in at 602,000 this year, though, which is off a career year averaging 59 points a game. Almost got to that gun status. Um, so, unfortunately, he's priced really high. What I will say, though, and again, unfortunately, like many of these Dragons, it might be better for draft. Starting off with the Titans, who are going to be you know, missing players, and then also the Dolphins, and then two home games, I could see him starting off pretty well. And he is going to be owned by like 1% or less of teams. You can pretty much guarantee it. Last year, if you're looking at upside, you know, he came out with the, the Titans game that he first had and scored 80 points against him with a try. His other game against the Titans was 73 points with a try. Uh, and then he scored a double against the Dolphins and went for 92 points. You know, those Titans and Dolphins matchups for him were fantastic last year. Now, if you're having a look at upside as well, his two biggest scores... He only had two tons, but they were 142 and 145. He's a guy that can score, you know, three or four tries quite easily once or twice a year. Uh, And if you can pinpoint where those games are going to be, generally it is the weaker teams that it's going to happen with. And then all of a sudden, you know, he starts making a lot of money very quickly. Now, he does have that low side, obviously, Marty. So, you know, you will get those 19-point outings from him, which he had in round four versus Sharks last year. 
And he does have a lot of 20s and, and 30s in there. He's not a great option by any stretch, but he is a guy that if you went for a hand grenade, he could 100% give you a run of three or four games where you make money and you get a real big score out of him. And it's funny, you know, there's no way I could do it, but it is funny that he's got the Dragons and the Dolphins straight up and he just scores so well against those teams. Yeah, so Ravalawa is, you know, he's a he's a meat axe. He's, you, if you look at most of his attacking stats, actually very close to the try line. He's not the sort of guy that's got the acceleration to score tries from over half halfway. A couple, a couple of times a year he'll do it. When he gets up and going, he's actually fast, but it just takes a long time to get there. So the key for Ravalawa is to put him in a position close enough to the try line and get him the ball. He's also not very good in the air, so he's not a threat um, from that perspective either. So he's he's very limited. Um, what you say about Ravalara is right. Um, history tends to repeat itself. Like the, It's amazing how often you'll see a, a guy turn up, and then when you look at previous seasons, you'll find it's the same team he keeps turning up against. And th- whether that's a confidence thing or a game plan thing, it's probably a little bit of both. But that's true of Ravalara, and he does have some very, very nice matchups coming up. The thing I'd point out is those matchups are all in the first three games, right? So if you if you're trying to choose a pod to get you some points, then that's great. But early in the season, I'm not so much worried about points. I'm more worried about growing my bank. You know, I want to be able to upgrade my players as quickly as possible. So those sorts of players I'd be inclined to sit on. And then if it turns out that he has actually got off to a really good start, he's turned up a couple of times, he's about to make some money, I'd probably buy him then and just ride the ride the money increase and then ditch him by round six. You know, I wouldn't really start with a player like that. Uh, also, if you're going to look at Ravalawa, I would probably point you towards Sivo at a very similar price and a very similar average and sort of say all the things you say about Ravalara are equally true of Sivo. The difference is that Sivo's playing in a better team with better halves and a lot better attack and has a better draw. So if you're if you're looking at a player that's a little bit different than what most people are going with, I would be thinking that you'd probably roll a dice on Sivo rather than Ravalara. I've had Sivo in my centre wing a lot this off season. Um, he's fifty k cheaper, so that's a that's a plus. Ravalawa scored twenty one tries in twenty one games last year, by far his best strike rate, and pretty amazing when you consider the Dragons' attack wasn't exactly you know near the top of the table. It's it's an amazing strike rate. They go to him a lot on that side. So I will tell you, there's no way that I'm going big balls pod with him to start with, but it would not surprise me at all to see him go massive games to start the year. And at the end of a draft, when you're filling your center wing spots with your last pick, you might even get Ravalawa. I'm throwing him in there for my last pick. And then I'm going to, by round three, start putting trade offers out there in draft to try and get an actual decent center wing that I can play every week. And you might get that from somebody. Uh, mistaken, a mistake or a controversial take. We already touched on this guy a little bit, so we're not going to go into him in too much detail. But Jack Bird, I, I've never been a massive fan, I have to say. Um, Jack Bird is obviously moving to centre. Uh, I certainly think that you're going to get some people that that look at him because every single year there's people that look at Jack Bird. And one of the things that he does have is he comes into Supercoach in 2024 as a dual centre wing, second row forward. Now, that's really handy, but I think the teams, especially new teams that have just started Supercoach, can get carried away with it because it's great to have a second row forward that you can put in your centre wing but it's not that great to have a center that you can put in your second row. And he is an actual center this year. So you're losing that dual value that he would have had last year when he was actually playing in the back row. That's a big deal. Uh, the other thing with him too is that he's been 
very consistent in that he's averaged between 54 and 57 points the last three years in a row. And that's really been him. You know, there's this thing about Jack Bird that he was a gun and, you know, he, he is a gun or he's just gotten older, but he, you know, he's still only 28. He's always been sort of a mid to late fifties type of guy. And then when you have a look at his actual center stats, it doesn't make for great reading. You know, last year, in 2022, sorry, he had four games at center where he averaged 49 with a 30 average of base. You know, that's that's below where he's priced at. You can say it's a small sample size. All right, let's go to 2021. He had 15 games at centre and he averaged 55 points per game. And that, that might be more in line with where he is, but that's exactly where he's priced at. You know, so at, at best, you're probably going to get around his price point. I don't think that he fluctuates too much where you're going to get much value out of him. And, and you mentioned, Marty, that his best days are probably behind him, even though he's only 28. He's had quite a few injuries, and he's probably not a great centre option either. So he's not the type of guy that gets a lot of tries. He, he got two tries last year. Can he build on that? Probably. Uh, but he's going to lose a lot in his base. You know, he had 39 base last year. That's probably going to go down to 30, which is going to be decent base, but not the best. And it's going to be made up for perhaps in his tries and whatever else. End of the day, the position will move Marty for Supercoach. is going to balance out to him being maybe priced at where he's at, which is 55. And that's not at all going to be worth paying 560k for, even as a jewel to start with round one. Yeah, so Bird is is definitely not worth it. As you say, it's nice to pick a back row at centre, although that strategy is not so much relevant now, I have to say, under the sort of, you know, the faster game that we have today than it was, say, five years ago. We always used to load up with guys like Simon Mannering, those sorts of players at centre. Now you are actually looking for guys that can score. One of my um sort of golden rules of Supercoach has always been don't take a centre over a winger unless he's a goal kicker. So someone like Valentine Holmes, for example, even a Lomax, those sorts of guys have enough upside because they every time they get a goal, they score four points, right? So if you have a, a game where you score five tries and and you convert them all, that's 20 points. But when, you, when you're just a normal centre, uh, it is a bit hard and sometimes, you know, sometimes the, the coach might want you to go right because they, they see a defensive weakness in your opponent's left edge. Well, that's great if you're playing on the right, but what if you're playing on the left? You know, you don't get anywhere near as much ball. Or the opposite can be the, the your opponent might go the opposite side of the field in attack because they think you've got a weakness and you're not getting those tackles, so you're not getting the base stats. I think the thing with Bird is he is our next choice 5'8 if there's an injury to um, either Hunt or Flanagan. And at 5'8", he will score a lot better because he does have a very super coach friendly game and he's an epic ball hog. Um, and he is very talented. Like, he's very clever. There's no doubt about that. You know, Bird is a very clever footballer. It's just that he just, I think mentally, he's not quite in the right place. I don't think he's ever really worked out who he was. You know, coming through the grades, he was always going to be the 5'8", the gun 5'8". Then he wanted to be the gun fullback. Uh, he always wanted to be a playmaker. And the truth of it is, I don't see him as a playmaker. And I don't think he's ever really got his head around that. Like, he had those aspirations of playing for Australia and he played for Origin early. And then it just sort of fizzled out with his injuries. So I think he's a, a player that's just really kind of between a rock and a hard place. He's big avoiding super coach. But I can see a world in which he goes significantly backwards in price at centre. Then there's an injury and he plays at 5'8". Probably watch him, you know, take him on a couple of dates just to see what it's like. But um, but maybe jump on Bird potentially at that point. And that's a reason why you might want to consider him for draft as well because he'll score okay. You probably don't want to play him, but he's one of those guys that could easily be like the eighth or ninth pick in draft. So, you know, you can sit on him. But then you could almost buy him and just wait for an injury and go, I think there's value in him, but not not to start the season. I'm probably more against Bird than you. Uh, but like I said, I've never been a massive fan. And I also, 
Like he he only played fourteen games last year. He actually went well the two years before playing twenty three and twenty two. I just I don't believe in him too much. Um, maybe on a flano he goes well, but to me going well is is doing his fifty five average, and I just don't see much upside. We do need to talk about the mids and cheapies to finish up on, and this is probably where the dragons have the best options for super coach for round one. Uh, one of them that I was quite interested in looking at was Jacob Little. Now, Jacob Little is going to come in at 458000 as a hooker, and it's certainly a problematic position. Um, I know that several several types of builds now are happening where people are all of a sudden going away from Grant and looking at doing two cheap hookers because it looks like that there will be two mid-priced hookers that could start and play 80, and that's going to be appealing for teams to fix other aspects of their team for Supercoach for round one kickoff. It isn't a strategy that I've done before. I have considered this year as well. Little comes in on a 45 average, but that is only playing 54 minutes a game in 2023. We did get a glimpse of him playing bigger minutes in 2021 where he played 65 minutes per game and he gave us a 55-point average. So all of a sudden you can see that there could be 10 points of value per game there on his price point if he's playing 65-plus minutes. Now, if someone like Little were to get an 80-minute role, then I don't think that's good for the Dragons, and I don't think that he can be an 80-minute player. But if Flano decides to do that, he's possibly 22 points undervalued playing 80 minutes. And then all of a sudden, you're talking about real value, real money-making, with a decent draw for him to attack at as well if he's going to get any clutch attack for the start of the season. So at 458k, I actually think Little is very interesting, but it does depend on how your bench is made up. So I am interested in your take on how that bench is going to be made up, how Little is going to be used. Uh, I know that they do have some young hooker options as well that could come in. Some of the teams have a hooker on the bench, some don't. When when you're looking at all the big sites that have predicted sides for Dragons for round one, how do you see Little's fit in the rotation? Because even if he's getting spelled for 15 minutes a game, he's still going to be great value to look at. But if he's playing his you know, 50 to 55 minutes a game, that just kills him as an option for Supercoach. Yeah, so with Little, that's one of those ones that really does come down to Team List Tuesday. Uh, he's never been an 80-minute hooker, and I would suggest in the not-too-distant future, there will be no such thing as an 80-minute hooker. You know, even you look at guys like Harry Grant, you look how much sharper he was when, you know, he, he was playing 65 towards the end of the season. You know, guys like Cookie, you can see him starting to struggle. Guys like Coruscant dropped back to 55, 60 minutes you know, last year, it's just a, it's such a hard position. You've got to be so fit to play there and it, and it affects you. So if you look at with Little, and this is something the Flanagan's really going to have to work on, the Dragons get the basics wrong. We get so many things that should be easy wrong. Um, and one of those is, is, is passing to the chest and, you know, hitting a player running at full speed. And if you look at Little, when he's playing 55 minutes, his service out of dummy half is sharp. He's certainly not a, a Reed Marnie. He doesn't have that kind of pass, but his service is sharp and his running game is good. Once he starts to get over 60 minutes, his running game drops off, which is bad because that's the best part of his game. But the other thing that really drops off is his passing becomes very wayward. Um, and we just can't afford to have that. You know, those little things, we have to get them right this year. So I don't think there's any chance at all he'll, he'll play over 60 minutes. I think maybe 65, possibly. The issue is who are they going to have on the bench? And Mal Hazen, I'm not a big fan of. Uh, the the bloke they have signed is um, Marshke, um and he's primarily a sort of half 5'8". He won the New South Wales Cup 5'8 of the year last year. He's actually good. I watched his highlights. He's an ex-Roosters player. You'd probably know. Um, but he he started his career at hooker, and since he's hit the Dragons, they've been absolutely powering 
hook her into them at training. And un, un, unlike um, the other options, Martian is ex useful because if there's an injury in at half or five eight, he can drop back and play that position as well. So uh, I think you'll find there will be someone on the bench that can take minutes off him. I'm pretty sure that person will be Marshke. Um, and I just don't really see. I, I think possibly there's seven points of value in little, but I could also see there being no value. And if if we if we get the right balance in the team, I would suggest that he really can't play over 60 minutes. And so when you're looking at little, you sort of got to go, well, do you want a gun hooker like Grant or Jeremy Marshall King? And the answer for me is yes. Like I've seen time and time again, these cheap hooker, double cheap hooker, we've tried it before. Yes, it never works, right? They'd never make enough money for you to be able to upgrade easily and you end up burning trades to try to get enough money. It's just not worth it. So I think you need to go with one good hooker. Grant's the obvious one. I'm running Jeremy Marshall King at the moment. He's the value in that position at the moment. Um, and then your second hooker, I think it probably needs to be Braley if you're confident he's going to get 55 minutes at the Knights. And he should. He's, you know, he was the captain there. Um, and now they've lost man, I would imagine that, that you know, the, the hooker from last year is going to play a lot, so Braley should get the minutes. Um, the other thing too is look at the Eels. All this talk about an 80-minute hooker at the Eels, God, I just, I just can't see it happening, man. Neither of those hookers, um, Lussick or Hands, neither of them, in my opinion, are good enough. They're, they're borderline good enough to be 55-minute hookers, you know. I, I can't see how you're going to play them 80. But if that was to happen... I said the same thing. Yeah, I said the same thing talking to Billy on the Eels preview. I just, I, I was so surprised that Arthur came out and said that. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he said that if he had yeah. a yeah. Harry Granite hooker or even some of these other sort of second tier rep players like a Robson or something. Sure, but like with what you've got, yeah. it, it just screams to me that you need to do a job share. So I'm, I'm with you there. And like with little, I mean, if if TLT, TLT comes up and there is no bench hooker, I, I'd be keen to look at him. Um, in saying that, uh, the other move that I'll put to you as well, I think is a good super coach one, is if you've got Harry Grant and you're happy to burn trades early, particularly if Grant's going to lose money on that first price drop and then he's got the round four buy, and you see a couple of games from Little where he's played 80 minutes, you can downgrade Grant to Little, even just for the short term, uh, make a couple hundred K pretty quickly. And then all of a sudden be able to make a big upgrade somewhere else. So I think that that's where Little's value might come, whether it's the TLT and we change our team before, or whether you use him after seeing a couple of 80 minute games potentially like that in a trade, I think could be really valuable. Well, Jeremy Marshall King's in the same situation because when he, I think his buy might be round three, and I think Grant's buy is round four. So it's to a degree, if you start with one of those two guys, which to me is the logical move, as you say, if something goes wrong, or little suddenly booms, then you do have the ability to pull out of that. Don't drop the money on one player, rise in money on the other, and then run a little through until maybe round eight. So he's definitely one to keep an eye on, but I, I just think you'll find when Team List Tuesday comes out, people that have got him in their team are going to start to panic. And then at that point, they really need to drop down to Bradley. I mean, Bradley's 330K. You're talking about a guy that averaged high 40s for his whole career. I think he's hit 50 a couple of times. You know, To me, it's Grant and Marshall King as one, and then probably Brady as the second. I, I just can't see an Eels hooker being relevant, and I wouldn't choose Little to start. Moving along, we've got uh, Flanagan Jr. So, obviously, Flanagan's come over, recruited by his dad to play under him again, and coming over from the Dogs, where he's averaged 30 points a game in 2023 on 54 minutes. Obviously, he started to be a utility or a hooker uh, off the bench, um, but I think it's interesting because it could go one of two ways with him. Like I don't, you'll you'll probably disagree with me here, but I don't actually really like Kyle Flanagan as a player very much. I watched him in the juniors a lot at Cronulla, 
Um, and he's just, I don't think that he's got it for NRL level to be a starting half. Uh, but he's still in his mid-20s. He's got plenty of time. I do think that he will be better uh, and better for super coach. In 2022 and 2021, he played 80 minutes a game and he went 38 and 37 points. That's putrid for a starting half, but it is still seven to eight points value on his price point. The problem is that it's seven or eight points value, but he's going to score you terrible points still. If he's on your bench, though, that's okay, and it's going to make some money. Uh, If you do look at his Bulldogs year last year, rounds one to 10 last year, he averaged 39, playing 80 minutes as a halfback only. So, you know, it really goes in line last year's numbers with his career numbers that he's basically going to be a high 30s type of player on average if he's the starting half and he's going to be. So you've probably got nine, maybe 10 points of value there. Uh, I think that the real value, Marty, is going to come if he's goal kicking. You know, you can basically get him up to a 46, 48 point average, which is solid enough scoring. And that's that's good enough scoring. And it's also extreme value of 16 to 18 points on his price point. So he actually becomes interesting to me with the goal kicking. I, I think that there's value there otherwise, but I, I just don't believe in Flano enough. And I don't think that the Dragons are a great team either. And he doesn't, the draw isn't going to make that much difference to him because he doesn't get a lot of a try assist. He doesn't score tries. He's not going to get a lot of the clutch attack anyway. So it, the draw doesn't matter too much to me. Um, but in saying that, if he's got the goal kicking, that matters. Uh, but at minimum, he should be eight or nine points under value. At best, maybe he's even close to 20 points under value. There's going to be value there. Uh, do you put him in a spot, though, where he's going to take up one of your five eight spots? I think this year you can definitely do it as your second five eight. So all of a sudden, uh, I don't like Flanagan as a player very much. I don't think he's a great signing for the Dragons, but I'm still going to you know, say he's a real option for Supercoach. Yeah, so I think to understand the 5-8 position, you, just, you need to start with the first question, do you want Brown? Because if you want Brown, and assuming you're going to run a couple of gun fullbacks, which most of us are going to do, and you want to run a couple of gun halves, which most of us want to do, although people with Brown won't have clearing hinds, I can almost guarantee you just won't have enough money. You'll have to go too light in too many positions. So I made the decision a long time ago that I wasn't going to get Brown, even though he's close to my favourite player in the game. So my original team build had two gun fullbacks. So I'm all over Ponga with that draw. He's just going to kill him. He's got Raiders in round one. He's going to turn up easy in round one. Um, and then Pappenhausen because of the value. And so my five eights were always going to be Campbell and Weeks. And I really wanted Campbell because he's playing fullback. He's got such a super coach friendly game. I was stoked with that combination. Then all of a sudden Campbell gets injured. So you have to rethink it. At that point, Flanagan came in as the obvious person for me to bring in. Um he, I don't think he's going to get the goal kicking. If he does, he's probably pretty close to a must-have. With Flanagan, um, without his goal kicking, I'm predicting him to average between 40 and 44, so not really great scores by any stretch of the imagination. But that translates to a price rise of between 113 and 150,000, and he's about 150,000 short of Campbell. So what I'm going to do with him is I'm going to take him I'm going to play him because I need to play him on weeks and I don't really want to play weeks. I'm going to play him for the first couple of rounds because what you say about the draws is sort of right and it's not right. Yes, it, it doesn't help a player like him as much as it helps someone like Hines, but it's still helpful. It's still much better playing a weak team than a great team. Oh, for sure. And it, it, does have, it does have a nice opening draw. So I'm going to take Flanagan for a couple of reasons. 
One of those is that the cash I'm going to make out of him, which is guaranteed, it's not going to be, he's not going to make 300 grand, but I could see him making over 200 grand. Um, but my, my plan with him is actually to just make a lot of cash quickly and then try to flip to Campbell as fast as I can and go back to the strategy I originally have. Um, and when I looked at doing other team builds with different five eights, the problem with it is there's really no one at that pricing point, which is realistic. So you have to jump up to other players which have, you know, like Caesar, Sullivan and kind of players, which have one of those as five eight, which have just as many question marks around them as 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 um Flanagan does. Or you need to jump up to sort of guys like Ezra Mam, and I don't see any value in that. Or you need to jump all the way up to a gun. So the more I looked at it, the more I thought, no, no, the, the smart thing for me to do with my team build is to take a bit of a knock in that position and run either Flanagan or Weeks based on matchups. So I'd probably lose maybe 20 points, even maybe 25 if I'm unlucky compared to someone like Dylan Brown. But the issue isn't really that in isolation. The issue is the money that I save by doing that, which I'm smashing out over the rest of my squad, that's the stuff that's going to make me make a lot of money in the long run. So you, 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 when you look at players, you know, teams out there, they've all got blokes like Ethan Strange in them and all of, you know, Iroh, all these guys that aren't, you know, Strange will play round one and then get knocked out round two you know Ira's not even going to be in any team you know I see all these teams that are full of all these guys that aren't playing the red dots don't make you any money right so the key really in the first third of the season for super coach is to make money then the key in the second third is to start scoring well and then the key in the third part of the season is to actually have made so much money you've pimped your team and absolutely smashed it at the end so it's a it's a marathon it's not a sprint and Flanagan suits me in terms of cash generation and, and suits me in terms of my total team build. I don't really look at that position in isolation. I think if you look at that position in isolation, you're probably going to choose Brown um, at 5'8", but I actually think Brown is a mistake. And it's not because of Brown. I think he's amazing. I'd love to have him in my team, but I, I actually, the more I looked at the more I thought, yeah, Brown is the player that you just do not want to have to start. There's too much money in 5'8". Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. I don't have Brown at the moment, but one thing that I will say with the team builds when you're looking at Flanagan is, I've got Campbell, and if I downgrade Campbell to a Flanagan, yeah, uh, that's going to free up a lot of money where you can actually move your other five eight up to Brown pretty easily, and I think that that's a decent move to make, particularly because Brown doesn't have any early buys. Whereas if you go to someone like Munster, you cop a round four buy, and it's not just Munster being out; it's the fact you have to play Kyle Flanagan in round four, yeah, and that's just not any good. Uh, which is my last point on Flano, especially with kicking. But my issue is that I probably won't have him because Weeks is cheaper and he's a dual fullback or 5'8". And there's no way I could recommend anyone having him as your second fullback. And if I put him at 5'8 with Flanagan, you got to play one of them. And that just kills your points. I, I just cannot play a Flanagan or a Weeks. And I'm probably going to choose Weeks over Flano just because of the price difference. Originally, originally I was quite happy having Campbell... Um, at 5'8", and I was even thinking about not going with Ponga and dropping Weeks into fullback because that way you have the matching duel. So if anybody gets injured or you've got a bad matchup or you can switch them around. Mm. Um, yep. And then if I was going to do that, I was either going to not roll with Pappenhausen, who has a bad draw, or maybe not roll with Ponga. And under that circumstance, I was going to bring Brown into 5'8". But to me, the more I looked at it, and I've made lots and lots of different versions of teams, and, I've, and I've, I'm always very realistic in my teams. I don't I don't waste my time choosing every cheap rookie that's not going to play. I do the opposite of that. So when Teamless Tuesday comes out, I don't get upset and disappointed. Um, but the more I looked at it, the more I thought, well, you sort of almost have to make a choice. It's either it's either Brown at 5'8 for me and lose one of my gun fullbacks 
or um, or have my double gun fullback and not have Brown. And then unfortunately for me, Campbell got injured and that, that's what threw the spanner in the works. If Campbell was still around, I'd be much more confident. Mm, but as I said to you, I have a plan. My plan is very straightforward. I am going to smash some some dollars out of um, Flanagan only for like a probably till round five maximum, maybe six. And then I'm going to jump straight to Campbell and go back to my original strategy. And at that stage, I will effectively got Campbell for the same price as I got Flanagan because of the price rise. So, um, you know, I'm happy to lose a few points in that position early in the season. I mean, you know, you, you score out of 17 guys and one of those guys is captain. So effectively, you got 18 scores. So if one of your scores is down a bit, that's not the end of the world. The issue is how do your other 17 scorers go? And the answer is, well, I reckon I can find ways to make that money. Yeah, I understand your strategy and it's fair enough. I I just personally, I can't take the hit of the upside of fullback and with the amount of fullback options that are there. Like I'm having trouble choosing two, mate. I want to choose five. So <laughs> I can't possibly end up with one there, but I understand the Flanagan value there. It will be interesting to see how that plays out, but there is value there. It's just a matter of how you want to how you want to do that when there's guys like Weeks as well. If Weeks doesn't get a job for round one, then, then Flanagan's going to become my second probably. I think you'll find Flanagan will probably end up in a lot of people's teams, not not necessarily because they want him, but just at that price with guaranteed upside. And someone like Weeks, for example, he's a little bit cheaper. And Weeks has actually got a much better attacking game than Flanagan, but he has nowhere near the amount of experience. He's playing in a weak team. Um, it's a team that's just lost its controlling half. And he's also got Ethan Strange playing at centre in round one. And Ethan Strange is actually a better 5'8", in my opinion, than Weeks is anyway. He's younger, um, and Stewart's very conservative. If Weeks comes out and scores two tries but misses seven tackles, and Strange comes out and scores no tries but doesn't miss a tackle, I wouldn't be at all surprised to find they start the season with Strange at 5'8", and Weeks not in the team at all. So uh, that's the other advantage of of say Flanagan as a cheap option um, compared to some of the Raiders guys that are around is that at least you know he is in the team, at least you know he'll be there all year, at least you know he's a an 80-minute player and he's also playing for his dad, you know, he's going to be comfortable, he's going to be an important person in that team whereas the Raiders guys, the cheapies, I mean they're very, very up and down, it's it's super risky, that that, that whole Raiders team has just got traps written all over it so um, yeah, I think you'll find Flanagan will probably work his way into most people's teams. We've got to move on, talk about some other guys. Sele comes in from South, and I actually quite liked him coming through um, when he was at the Dragons. Played 39 minutes a game last year, scored 42 points per game. He's had a really good PPM. Like, if you look at the last four years, 1.02, 1.21, 1.05, 1.08. His PPM's great. He's got a really good work rate, and you know that you're going to get that decent base from him. Um, he has in the past shown a bit of an offload and stuff, but that's seemingly gone. 38 raw base in 39 minutes is very good if you're looking at a cheaper mid-range type of guy. 425000 Marty. That's a little bit much. I, I really wish as a front rower he was in that 350K sort of range. I think you could look at a lot more. The key is his minutes, right? He's got 42 off 39 minutes. If he can get to 50 minutes at the Dragons... All of a sudden, he's a guy that's scoring in the low to mid-50s, and there's good value there. And I always say the value at front row, whatever your thresholds are, you can basically halve them for front row because it's such a poor position. So even if you can get six or seven points of value at front row, to me, I take that. Now, if he can get to that 50-minute mark, that's really good for him. Even at 45, it could be arguable that he can get to 50 points per game, and then all of a sudden, he's eight points of value as a front rower. He'll make some slow cash but he will give you, you know, decent bench uh, points there and not be an AE nightmare. So 
how do you sort of see Sele in the rotation? Starting prop, 50 minutes or bench or just getting around that 40-minute mark that he's already priced at? Uh, I was actually quite interested in him when it came out. He's He has such a big points per minute. He's always had a big PPM. Uh, and I do see him coming and being one of the elite props. But then we signed Eisenhuth, who who's a swing player. And then we signed Fatala Mariner, who is, again, a swing player. And then I sort of looked at some of the young guys training, some of these young props coming through, and, and I just sort of thought, nah, there's so many mouths to feed in at the Dragons in the middle. I just don't see any value in any of the middle. So I think Sally will start. Um, I think they'll have Francis Molo on the bench. He would play, he got 39 minutes last year. You know, starters normally get a little bit more than that, but I can't really see Sally getting more than 45, to be honest. So there's a little bit of value there. But when you look at his price and then comparing to some of the guys like you know, Totola, for example, or even if you look at the even if you look at the dogs and look at someone like Liam Knight, who's cheaper, dual, um, will play the same role, or even take a risk and drop down to someone like Hughes. You know, that dogs trial that's on, you need to watch that dogs trial. There's some very, very super coach relevant players in that team. Uh, you sort of get to a scenario where you sort of go, yeah, I think Sally is good. There's definite value there, but can I get the same value at a cheaper price or can I get more value at a similar price? And there's a lot of players that I would suggest over Sally, which is a shame, you know, but it's good. It shows there's a bit of competition. If Sally had been in the team last year, he would have been playing 55 minutes every every game. So that gives you an idea of the sort of improvement I can expect in the um, Dragons forward pack. Finish up on the Dragons team preview. We're going to talk about that coveted edge forward position. There is so many different predicted teams that all have a different answer for who will be on the edge. Uh, some of them have Dan Russell there. Some of them have new recruit Eisenhuth going there. Some of them have a Couchman and an RFM. Uh, I'm not a fan of RFM. I'm just going to say that. Uh, Couchman, I really like. Eisenhuth could be huge value there. So for Supercoach, is very relevant. Dan Russell, I think, has, has showed some good things, and he's a center wing, second row for Jewel. So before we go through the numbers, let me just ask you a straightforward question. Who do you think it's out of for that starting edge back rower spot? None of them. It'll go to Leilua. Oh, we're going to talk about Leilua now. I, I'm confident that Leilua will get there, in which case he's, I'm not going to consider him for Supercoach anyway, but it's not done yet. And one thing that we do learn in rugby league is that, you know, even the deals that are just about done can still fall over. So let's pretend that Leilua isn't there. Who do you reckon that it was going to go to out of these guys? Okay, so Russell is from Papua New Guinea and Flano is coach of Papua New Guinean national team. He really likes him. He brought him to the club. Um, but Russell just doesn't have any upside at all. He's just a big guy. He made his debut at 27. You know, He's a big guy. He trains hard. He works hard. Um, he gets through his defensive. There's, there's nothing there. Like We need to move away from these sorts of players. We need people that have got something to them. So I would have predicted before some of the more recent signings, I would have said that Eisenhuth would start on the edge. Um, by the way, the, the sewer swapping sides this year. So, again, you're, you're, when we talk about the edge, it's not the edge you think it is. Um, I would have thought that Eisenhuth would start at the edge and then one of the Couchman brothers, hard to predict which one, Everyone everyone, the Dragons forums are talking about Toby as the one. I sort of see Toby more as a middle. I prefer to see Ryan there. But either way, I would have thought that it would be Eisenhuth to start. One of the Couchmans comes on, and then Eisenhuth goes back and plays in the middle. Then they signed Fatala Mariner, and I would have gone, okay, well, I think Fatala Mariner will be on the edge with one of the Couchmans coming in and Eisenhuth on the bench. But then I think they're going to sign Leilua, in which case I think Leilua will be there as well. So it, it's a scenario where it's, there's just so many moving parts. It's a movable feast. 
Um, I'm not really hearing anything clear out of training other than to know that everybody is pretty much trialing in every position. There's a lot of depth and there's a lot of guys that can move between positions at the Dragons now. So uh, I, if I was to guess, I'll just stick to my original guess. It'll be Lailua. Do you think whoever starts here is going to get 80? Because, I mean, I think that's going to be the other thing that could be trappish. Like if someone's mid to cheapish starts here, like one of these other names, you, you hope that they're going to get 80 minutes, but all of a sudden, you know, there's just so many other guys that can be on the bench and they're probably not going to get the 80 minutes. They're probably going to be 50 to 60 and that's going to kill just about everybody. So do you see that edge role being an 80-minute role, particularly because no. Sewer's obviously going to get 80? Yeah, no chance. So Sewer will be the only bloke in the in the pack that gets 80. Um, because we have so many good players coming through, because you also got Egan coming through, and Egan could be just as good as the Couchman's, possibly better. Mm. Um, you know, the the development side of the Dragons has been putrid since Bennett left. Um, but last year on the pod when we spoke about, I said to you that they're putting a huge amount of effort into the juniors, and they have. You know, they've they've got across a recruitment guy with huge amounts of experience at the Tigers, the Dogs, the Rabbits, and his expertise is juniors. They brought down a lot of very promising players from Queensland. Um, they started working their own area a lot better. They started getting better coaches in the juniors. And so, you know, we've got so many good forwards coming through the system that you're going to have to start getting them, some of them into first grade now. Otherwise, they're just going to get picked up by other clubs. So um, Fatala Mariner, for example, if he so hypothetically starts there, I don't see him as an 80-minute player. He could do it, but I just don't see it. I think that the Dragons would be a lot better served to have him play for say 50 and someone like Cashman come on for 30. It's the same if, if um Eisenhuth gets the position. You know, he's a probably a 40-minute player and someone like a Cashman plays 40. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Firstly, I, I, I think it's good to have a bit of speed and a bit of variety coming onto the team. But also if we just have all these awesome young players and we just bog them in reserve grade all year. We're going to lose them. And the thing about these players is as good as they are, it's the guys coming through in SG ball and flag that are better than any of them. So we have a scenario where we're looking at probably 12 really, really good young forwards, which are all due either now or within two years. We're not going to be able to keep them all. But unless we start opening up the pathways, we will lose them all. So, um, yeah, there'll be no 80-minute players outside of Sewer. Even Sewer, I wouldn't be surprised if Sewer doesn't play 80, and I reckon I'll let Sewer go at the end of this year anyway. I would be letting him go. Uh, to summarise it for Supercoach, for Supercoach, the best thing that could happen is that Eisenhuth gets the, the starting back row nod, uh, only because he's only priced at 35 points on a 39-minute per game average at the Storm. So even if he's not going to get 80, if he gets 50 to 55, you're going to get 10 points of value there. And at 356k, he's another mid there in your second row, but he's also conveniently dual centre wing. So I would be quite interested in starting him in my centre wing if he does happen to get named there. Uh, obviously, a lot of things need to happen for him to get named there, though. So we will need to see trials. We will need to see for round one. But at non-80-minute options, Dan Russell isn't going to be one. Um, Raymond Fatale and Mariner isn't going to be one for Supercoach. It's going to and it's. I wouldn't even be interested in Lua. I think it's really going to be out of Couchman and Eisenhuth if you want to take a punt on someone that's going to be cheaper that you can start with Supercoach round one, even if they're not going to be an 80-minute edge back rower. So big watch, uh, big podcast on the Dragons, Marty. Appreciate you coming on, mate. You know a lot about the Dragons. You've got the ear to the ground. You know a lot of people, and I'm always interested in your hot takes on your Dragons and also your inside info. So thanks very much for jumping on the All-Stars podcast again for the preview. And I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it'll be an interesting season. It's probably going to be a bit depressing this year, but I think there will be 
Um, there'll, there'll be a little bit of gold at the end of the rainbow. We just have to probably expect us to be bottom four for sure, possibly spoon, but just sort of have a bit of confidence in what's coming in through in the next year or two. And it does get a bit boring as a dragon sporter saying, oh, oh, next year, next year, next year. It feels like I've been saying this for eight years now. <laughs> um, but I do feel like if we can pick up a couple of young outside backs, I think the dragons are far better positioned now than they have been at any point in the last eight years. But that doesn't mean it's going to help us this year. And it sure as hell doesn't mean it's going to help us for Supercoach. That's certainly right. And look, the only way is up because it's not going to be worse than what it has been for a few years. So glass half full, mate, glass half full. No, we came second uh, last. So <laughs> there, actually, there is a way of going down. We can go down. <laughs> the Tigers last. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks very much. And for those that are tuning in, make sure you subscribe. Don't just download because if you subscribe, you'll get all the episodes straight away. We're banging out team previews over the next couple of weeks. There'll be multiple a week. There'll be two this week. You can subscribe or download or stream on SoundCloud, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, everywhere else as well. Also follow on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. Some questions about a group code. I'll be creating that by the end of this week. So you'll get the group code on Twitter. Uh, but certainly PM or DM me or whatever, and I'll I'll get it to you as well once it's created. Until then, enjoy your teams tinkering. Enjoy the trials starting this week. We have rugby league back. It is glorious. Can't wait to chat more about it again next week. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get 